Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to let me know over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com and connect with me on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory or on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. When I say that, I really mean it. I've been enjoying all the interaction that I've been having with you guys via social media, the comments on Apple Podcasts, and the contact form on the website. I love hearing that you guys are enjoying the show and the suggestions that you guys have provided me. You guys have given me so many good ideas, and I look forward to turning those into reality in the future. On today's episode, I am very pleased to welcome Lisa Curtis, founder of Cooley Cooley, to tell her unique Peace Corps story. Cooley Cooley is America's leading Moringa brand. Don't know what Moringa is? Well, many volunteers take on growing Moringa as a project in their communities. It is extremely rich in iron, calcium, vitamins, and antioxidants. Lisa was introduced to Moringa as a Peace Corps volunteer, and it was one of the first projects that she took on, but sadly, she never got to finish it because she was evacuated from Niger after a terrorist attack. But that didn't stop her. She turned her project into something so much bigger, Cooley Cooley. Without further ado, here is Lisa's story. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Lisa Curtis, and this is my Peace Corps story. Lisa, welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm very excited to have you today to talk about your service and, more importantly, the amazing things that you've been able to do after your service. What I find so inspirational about Peace Corps volunteers is not only that the things that they did while serving two years abroad— but how they continue to keep that ideal of service and keep providing for uh, their community back in the United States or the global community. So I'm very excited to speak with you today. So let everybody know who's listening a little bit about Lisa, where you come from, what you were doing in Peace Corps, and what you're doing now. Sure, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So I hail from the San Francisco Bay Area, I was a community development volunteer in Peace Corps Niger, uh, started in 2010, was evacuated in 2011, and used that experience um, really to inspire me for what I'm doing now, which is I run a Moringa company called Cooley Cooley. And so we sell Moringa products across health food stores here in the U.S. We're in about 6,000 stores nationwide. Yeah, you guys are not a small operation at all. (laughs) I mean, you guys are a a big company. And I would uh, like to also say right now, uh, congratulations. I saw you on the Forbes 30 Under 30. Thank you. Yeah, I was very excited to get that award. I'm turning 30 in 
two weeks. So just in the nick of time. <laughs> well, congrats on that. And we'll, we'll get into just why you were so deserving of that distinction. But first, let's start off uh, about your service. Why did you join the Peace Corps? What was sort of going in through your mind? And what was your reason for dedicating or, I guess, you know, with the idea of dedicating, even though you got pulled out of two years of your life to, to serving abroad. Yeah. So during college, I worked a lot with the United Nations Environment Program, and I was actually their regional representative for North America. And I was very interested in sustainability and environmentalism. I was an environmental studies major, and I would go to all these conferences in Copenhagen and Korea, all over the world, and I would see the Western world, so America and Europe and other countries like us, telling the Brazil, India, China, other developing countries that they couldn't keep polluting the way that they were polluting. Um, but then I heard the argument coming back from these so-called BRIC countries uh, saying that they needed to develop that way in order to pull their people out of poverty and give them the same standard of living that, you know, Americans and Europeans enjoy. Um, And so that idea of there has to be a middle ground, there has to be a way to pull out of people out of poverty without hurting our environment really stuck with me. And I figured the only way to fully understand what it would feel like to, to do that was to really live below the poverty line or live at the poverty line. And Peace Corps is great about sending you into rural villages. And in my case, you know, paying me $75 a month. So uh, it was something I I really wanted to better understand firsthand what it was like to live in a developing country. Mm -hmm. And now tell us a little bit about the developing country that you were serving in Niger. Uh, Like, were you in a, a pretty small village? Like what, what were your living conditions day to day? Yeah. So I was in a, a pretty small village, 2000 people, and it was um, just south of a relatively large city in Niger, Marty, um, but pretty cut off. We didn't have, you know, there were two people in my village who had cars. Um, and other than that, you just had to wait by the side of the road for a market car to come by. Um, or you walked, which is what a lot of people in my village did, spend a you know, few hours walking to the nearest city. Um, and I lived in a mud house, no electricity, no running water. I wasn't living with a family, was living on my own. And I had a lovely garden going up until I got evacuated. Mm-hmm. And you were you were an ag volunteer, correct? As I take it, or were you doing something else? I was a, a municipal and community development volunteer. So technically, I was assigned to the mayor's office in my village. What I found out when I got there was that Niger had just had a coup, and so there wasn't a mayor in my village. Instead, <laughs> there was two guys who sat in the mayor's office and drank tea all day. Um, so I kind of had to find my own way in terms of figuring out what I wanted to do. Okay. Now, one of, one of the questions that I, I always ask people are a, a favorite memory or, or story from your service that sort of defines 
your your time abroad or that you just really cherish because it's funny, interesting, or something else. Uh, do you have one of those that you would like to share with us? Yeah, I do. Um, so, you know, when I first heard Niger, Peace Force told me I was going to Niger. I was like, where is Niger? What is that? And I Googled it and it's like uh, poorest, hottest country in the world. You know, it didn't sound exciting at all. But when I got there, I realized it also has some of the nicest people in the world. And one story that has stuck with me was this particularly um, muddy day when I was walking down the street in my village and there's, you know, it was all mud roads and there was lots of like livestock everywhere. So cow manure and, you know, lots of things, trash mixed into that mud. So not something you wanted to walk around barefoot in. Um, but I had those cheap little sandals that they sell all over Niger. And um, one of them got stuck in the mud and broke. And as I was pulling it out, the other one broke. <laughs> and so I was standing there in the mud with these two broken sandals, just like looking around and being like, oh, I don't want to walk through this. Um, and this guy who had seen this whole thing happen, who was just standing by the side of the road, never met him before in my life. He comes over to me. He takes the shoes off his feet and hands them to me and says, here, use these. You can go walk back to your house, get your shoes, and I'll just wait here. And I don't think there are many countries in the world where somebody would take the shoes off their feet. A total stranger would take the shoes off their feet, give them to you so that you don't have to walk barefoot. It was pretty amazing. Well, as a, a fellow West African volunteer serving in Burkina Faso, I, I saw a lot of the same. I, I've never had someone personally give me their shoes, but actions like that just speak so much to how giving uh, th- those people are and how willing they are to share any and absolutely everything that they have um, with an absolute stranger. Yeah. Now, on the opposite side of that, with the good, you know, th- there is bad Peace Corps is difficult. Um, when they say it's the hardest job you ever love, they're being pretty serious about that. Now, being an entrepreneur, uh, maybe starting Cooley Cooley uh, gives that a run for its money. But do you have a story uh, that defines one of those more difficult times, something that really shook you to your core and made you question um, humanity? Yeah. So I think you know, the hardest moment for me, other than being evacuated, which was just one of the saddest things that has ever happened, um, was when I was in my village and it was late at night. I was drinking tea with some friends and um, this little kid just like comes out of the darkness and he sort of like reaches for us and then he collapses. Um, you know, everyone, my friends that I was with just started like talking to this boy in Hausa and trying to like give him water, help him sit up. Um, and it turned out that he had left his family to search for food and hadn't eaten in three days. Um, so all of us sort of scrambled of like, where can we get food for this kid? Most people in Niger don't keep like packaged foods on hand. And all the, the women in the village had put out their cooking fires. There was, wasn't really any leftovers anywhere. And so I ended up going into my house and grabbing a care package that my mom had sent me and grabbing all of these nutrition bars and like giving them to these kids. You know, I felt 
good about being able to give him something, but it just struck me that like, that is not the answer that we've been giving people food and weaving like America and USAID and, and in some form, you know, stuffing various nutritional supplements or like American grown corn in the hands of, I would say, Africans in particular for decades. And it doesn't solve the fundamental issue of malnutrition. And it's, it was just one of those moments that has stuck with me and we have to go upstream and figure out how we make sure that there, there's no little kid that is collapsing in the night. Mm-hmm. And one thing you were speaking of just made me think of, you know, the, the key differences between aid and development. Yeah. Uh, that whole model. I mean, aid is when you're, you're, you're propping them up, but development is really building their capacity so they can care for themselves and they, they don't need the Western dependence uh, to just, you know, see another day. Exactly. Now, I'm very interested to actually hear about being evacuated. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that, because um, my, my country that I served in, uh, those volunteers were actually pulled out about six months ago, and I can't even imagine what that is like. You know, you're you're in your village, you're starting projects, you're starting to feel like you belong there and have a good handle and everything, and then all of a sudden you're pulled out. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's um, it's like one of those things that is like crazy and then it's kind of still hard to talk about because it was so sad. I mean, I had only been there seven months, but seven months when you're in a village where, you know, there's, there's no electricity. It's not like you're watching TV all day. You're just talking to people. And I had so many people who'd become almost like a second family to me. And then we get the news that they are evacuating Peace Corps Niger. And we had a day to pack up and tell everybody goodbye and leave. And it was, it didn't, to me personally, like this, so there was a terrorist attack in the sense that two um, members of Al-Qaeda, the West African branch of Al-Qaeda, came into the capital city and they kidnapped two French nationals and took them into the desert, tried to help hold them for ransom. Um, and it this happened at a bar that was across the street from Peace Corps headquarters. And, you know, the, the U.S. government does not play games. They had us out of there so quickly. Um, but because it didn't feel like, you know, I was a bus, I was in a village 10 hours away from the capital. Um, it, it didn't feel like a direct threat and it didn't feel like a direct threat to anyone in my village. It was really hard to explain to them why I had to leave. It was also really hard, you know, being a type A person, which I think, you know, a lot of Peace Corps volunteers are, you, you have all these plans. And I had just put together this whole project proposal around Moringa that I was going to do with my health center and some of the women in my village. And, and then all of a sudden, like for the first time in my life, really, I had no plan that I had been evacuated. The option was either like, you know, go back to America or end your service there. And neither of them felt like good options. Mm -hmm. But out of that, that very trying time, something good came out of it. Coolie coolie. Now, what, what, how did the evacuation play into the, the beginnings of coolie coolie? Yeah. So 
Um, I didn't want to go home. <laughs> America felt like it was too, too different, too far away. I wanted to stay abroad. Um, so I ended up kind of on a whim moving to India. And I spent five months working at an impact investment firm. And that's where I really got this idea in my head that you could use business to create social change. And so I took that project proposal I put together for, you know, this Moringa business or, you know, organization that we were trying to start in my village in Niger and started thinking about like, how, how could I do this from afar and how could I use my resources and network as an American to make this happen? And so what ended up happening is after those five months in India, I came back to the U.S. with a business plan that everyone laughed at <laughs> for a long time. Everyone thought this was a crazy idea to introduce a plant that nobody had heard of and do it with zero money. And, you know, this at the time I was 23 um, and decided that I was, you know, I, I got a day job that spent my nights and weekends working on this. I recruited a couple of friends who I'd grown up with to working on it with me. Um, and we started to import Moringa. We tested it out in farmer's markets in the form of bars. People got really interested in it. So then we did a crowdfunding campaign, launched into one Whole Foods store here in Oakland. Um, and, you know, four years later, we're in 6,000 stores and we're working with over 1,000 farmers across the country. So dreams really can come true. <laughs> Hey everybody, sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to take a moment and tell you about Intermod Music. If you are looking for podcast editing, music production, or audio restoration work, head to intermodmusic.com. This episode that you are listening to sounds as good as it does thanks to Jake at Intermod. I've been working with him for about two weeks now, and it has been absolutely amazing. Now, he is working remotely. I've never met him. And that sort of relationship can sometimes be frustrating, but it has been absolutely seamless. When I'm handing over clips to Jake, he is listening to every single second and trying to make it the best possible. Now, I wish he could help me not mince my words, stutter, say stupid things, and pr pronounce things uh, absolutely wrong, but that's on me. What he does is take a good clip and make it better, or bring to life something that is dull and flat. You guys should really check him out. So if you're looking for podcast editing, music production, audio restoration, head to intermodmusic.com. Jake recommends that you click get a quote so you can tell him exactly what you want so he can put together a personalized package for you. You will not be disappointed. And now back to the show. And the, the name Cooley Cooley, uh, where does that come from? Yeah, so Cooley Cooley is this popular peanut snack in a lot of West Africa. And in my village, they would often mix this these this peanut these little peanut balls with moringa, and it would be this like really delicious and nutritious snack. And uh, that was what I ate because I'm a vegetarian and just off of this diet of you know beans, rice, and millet, felt like I wasn't getting enough nutrients. I think enough protein or iron specifically. Um, so I was starting to eat these coolie coolie moringa balls 
every day. Um, and that was the original inspiration was like, can I recreate something like that? And can I do it in a way that helps to improve nutrition and livelihoods for women in West Africa? Mm -hmm. Now, before hearing about your product, uh, I knew about Moringa because I started growing it in my village. But one of the hardest things, I guess there were two things that I had to deal with. One, uh, getting people to actually grow the trees and, and seeing a value in it. And then two, once they actually grew them, uh, teaching them ways that they could actually cook with it that wasn't adding it into a sauce and boiling that sauce to death for, you know, two hours and, and just completely destroy, destroying all the nutrients. So how did you start to counteract that? And how, how are you continuing to do that with Cooley Cooley? Great question. I saw the exact same thing in my village. Um, so two different ways. So first of all, in getting them to grow it, um, we provide a really strong economic incentive for them to grow it. And we found that when people are growing Moringa for export, they also eat it themselves. They have more of it around. It's in their fields. Um, and they also, I think there's this interesting element of they see Americans really wanting it and paying really high prices for it. And that makes them more likely to place value in it. Um, as to the second part, um, so we partner up with nonprofits in the communities where we're sourcing from and work with those nonprofits to do nutritional trainings around how to um, powder moringa and add it to sauces and stews towards the end of cooking in a way that doesn't change the flavor, but really provides a lot of those nutrients. Mm -hmm. Well, that that is something that I was uh, missing in my service. And if I was to do it again, I would definitely you know, try to use some of the lessons that you learned and see if I could bring them back. So hopefully any volunteer who's, who's listening uh, to this, who's thinking about growing moringa, can implement those ideas and, you know, let everybody know in your village that, hey, Americans are loving this stuff. There's this brand called Cooley Cooley yeah. and they're eating it up. Totally. And we're always looking for new sources of moringa. So if you're in a village where people are really excited about growing moringa and you think there's potential that you could grow enough moringa that it'd be worth exporting, we'd love to talk to you. And where are you guys currently sourcing your moringa from? So a couple of different places. So we are sourcing from Ghana. We're also very close to starting to source from some groups in Nigeria and Benin. Um, and then we've also been sourcing a bit from South America. So primarily from Nicaragua, but a little bit from Colombia as well. Okay. And how do you start these partnerships? I mean, are you guys just looking looking for moringa growers or do you go into communities that don't know what it is and then build it from the ground up? What's that process? Yeah. So we find um, generally we're working with people who are already growing moringa and selling it locally, but who want to be able to scale up. So a really good example of this is a woman in Benin whose name is Pirouette, and she actually received a training by a Peace Corps volunteer on Moringa. Um, she had just lost her husband. She had five children, and she was totally destitute. But she attended this Peace Corps training. She learned about Moringa, and she decided that this was going to be the plant that she used to 
provide her family with the nutrition and to, you know, provide a livelihood for her family. So she ended up starting a Moringa business. She now employs 133 women, mostly widowed women or otherwise, you know, women who wouldn't have other opportunities. And they're all working with her to um, produce Moringa powder. Um, One of the biggest things for her that she wants to do is to be able to scale up and sell to the U.S. So Kuli Kuli has been working closely with her to help her build a new processing facility. So we've provided some technical support. Um, We've introduced her to some of our farmers in Ghana who know a little bit more about Moringa. And we've worked with Pirouette to to be able to to scale up and grow her business by selling some of that Moringa here to us in the U.S. Well, that's an awesome story that she originally, you know, learned about Moringa from a Peace Corps volunteer, and then she's partnering with you guys where the idea came out of Peace Corps. It's just, you know, the the interconnectedness of the, the impact of Peace Corps, and that really speaks a lot to it. Yeah, full circle. Now, Moringa is not that hard to grow, especially in the places where they should really be using it, you know, in dry areas. Um, I mean, I remember planting these trees where I couldn't get, you know, regular vegetables to grow in my garden and these things would just take over. So it's not a very intensive crop, but how much money do these farmers actually see uh, from growing uh, these moringa trees and, and harvesting the leaves? Yeah, it's a really easy crop to grow. It's a pretty tricky crop to process correctly. Um, So we find that in order for us to be able to sell it here in the U.S., we need for them to have a hygienic facility for them to process it and um, be able to to hit our quality standards. Um, But once they're able to do that, they're making more money selling Moringa to us than any of the other crops that they're selling. So we are paying above market prices and we do, you know, want to make sure that the the farmers have a very clear forecast so that they know exactly how much Moringa to um, grow. And then we basically guarantee that we will purchase all of it. So it's a a guaranteed income and it's a long-term income as well. Mm -hmm. And then bringing it back to your Peace Corps service, is there something that you you missed about your time in Niger? Um, you know, I think it's the simplicity. <laughs> uh, sometimes I, like, I loved that I would just walk down the street in my village and, you know, it was very small. Like, it should have only taken me 10 minutes to cross the street, but it would often take me 40 because everyone there wanted to know how is your family, how is your health, um, how is your farm, and, and just, you know, people genuinely cared about each other, and, and people weren't, like, you know, walking down the street on their iPhones in their own isolated world. They were really looking out for each other, um, and I think that sort of, like, beauty of community and the sort of simplicity of life there um, was really was a really beautiful thing. And at sometimes, like, I, you know, I love technology as much as everyone else, but I think sometimes in fast-paced American lifestyle, we forget to take time to check in with each other and make time to, to care for our community. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that has been a sentiment that has been said by 
every single person <laughs> who has come on this show and interviewed, just talking about the simplicity and the connection to those people around us. And that's something that I miss and I have struggled to to keep in the United States. I mean, you know, working a regular job and then running this podcast outside of, you know, the nine to five. And I can only imagine with you, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting this, just how many hours a week that you're, you're working. <laughs> I don't how, count them. <laughs> yeah, it, it would probably be scary. Um, <laughs> but how do you um, sort of keep that ideal uh, in your life, even when you're, you're so busy, so active and you're, you're doing amazing things, but you know, it, it is a lot of time. How do you stay, you know, a little bit more uh, simple in your lifestyle and connected to those around you? Yeah. So one of the biggest things for me is that I think it's really important to have a collaborative and supportive work environment and to make sure that people don't feel like they're just sitting in front of their computer, computer, like working in a silo on a project that, you know, maybe matters, maybe doesn't, but they have no idea. And so we really have put a lot of emphasis on team at Cooley Cooley and a lot of emphasis on supporting each other, collaborating with each other and um, making sure that, you know, everyone on our team is working really hard, but also takes time to check in with each other and we do happy hours and hikes. And at the end of every meeting, we give shout outs where everybody calls out popcorn style, something that somebody else in the room has done for them or, you know, done for the company that they really appreciate. Um, so try to really build that community here because you spend half your life at work. You got to make sure that it's a, a good, you know, supportive place to be. And then sort of personally, I do work a lot of weekends and a lot of evenings, but I make a really strong push for myself to never let work get in the way of doing something or seeing someone that I really care about. And so making time for the people I love is really important to me. And it's you know so important that I will take half a day off to go to a cousin's graduation or um, that kind of thing. Because I, I think friends and family are, are so important. Mm -hmm. Well, great lessons for, for everybody who's who's listening to, to seek out those work environments that are collaborative and enriching and then to, to make sure that you are giving time uh, to those people who are most important in your life. Yeah. Before we close out the show, is there anything else we should know about Cooley Cooley? Like, what are you guys doing? Do you have any big ideas for new products that you're going to be launching? Where do you really see this uh, company going? Yeah, um, lots of answers to that. Uh, so in terms of, you know, what you should know about us, we did just launch a new protein powder. It tastes amazing. It's my favorite product that we've launched so far. So you can find it on our website. You can find it on Amazon. Um, in terms of where we're going, so my goal is over the next three years for us to really develop a model for how you can successfully build a supply chain for an entirely new ingredient, do it in a way that really improves nutrition and livelihoods in the communities where this ingredient is sourced, and then also introduce it 
to Americans in a way that they really get excited about it, improves their lives and their nutrition, um, and provides a sustainable source of income to those farming communities. So I think of us as pioneering this model with Moringa, but I don't think that it stops there. I think there are a lot of really amazing nutrient-rich plants from all around the world that once we figure out how to do this with Moringa, we can start adding in other types of products into our model. The sky's the limit. I would love my job to someday be traveling around to different countries and trying different superfoods and working with the different communities to help them, you know, earn an income by selling those superfoods here in the U.S. So that's that's the dream and we're going to keep working towards it. Well, that is quite the dream and I wish you the best of luck in that endeavor. Thank you. And for everybody who is listening, who is interested in trying out Cooley Cooley and the amazing products that they are producing, uh, we're actually doing a, a giveaway for listeners of this podcast. So if you are listening right now, uh, when this show goes live for the next two weeks, if you go to the show notes at mypeacecorestory.com, find this episode. It'll also be at mypeacecorestory.com slash Cooley Cooley all one word, you will find how you can enter to be in a drawing to get an amazing pack of all the stuff that they're producing. Absolutely delicious. So if you're listening right now, go enter into the contest. After two weeks, I'm going to pick a winner. Lisa and her amazing team is going to ship you a box of really delicious uh, Moringa Superfood bars, smoothie mixes, energy shots, and you guys uh, will not be disappointed. Go right now, sign up for that. If you're listening to this after two weeks, I apologize, but still go and buy uh, these amazing products. As she said, you can find them on Amazon, find them on Cooley Cooley, Whole Foods, all over the place. I mean, this is a company that has really grown a lot uh, and is doing some amazing things. So Lisa, Thank you very much for coming on the show, taking some time to let us know a little bit about your Peace Corps experience and how you turned you know, that evacuation and the work you were doing into such an amazing company. Do you have any final words for the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast? Yes, we hire lots of Peace Corps volunteers. <laughs> we have um, about half of our staff is our PCVs. So if you're looking for something to do when you get back from Peace Corps, uh, let us know. We have you know lots of paid internships. We also have some full-time roles opening up. We'd love to hear from you. So sign up for that giveaway and then go apply for a job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, thank you, Lisa. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. I think people are going to find a lot of value in your episode, and I encourage them to to follow you on social media and, and just to to watch you grow. Because I actually remember uh, seeing this brand pretty soon after that I came back from Peace Corps, and I was like, "Oh, Moringa's here in the United States." Because I don't think it was popular when I left for the Peace Corps in 2012. And then I came back and about a year later, your brand sort of popped up on my radar. And I was like, oh, that's an amazing idea. So it's, <laughs> it's great to finally be able to actually connect with you, the, the founder of this company, uh, about three years later. Uh, and it's just been fun talking to you. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's 
always fun to relive T-Score. And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story Podcast. If you want to stay better connected with me and the My Peace Corps Story Podcast, head on over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you want to know my personal Peace Corps story, please check out my book, Service Disrupted, available on Amazon. And do not miss out on the giveaway that Cooley Cooley has put together for listeners of the My Peace Core Story podcast, head on over to MyPeaceCoreStory.com slash Cooley and there you will see everything you need to do to enter into this amazing giveaway. Do not delay because it's only going to be open for two weeks. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?